Looking for a graduation gift to inform, inspire, and encourage? When you give a subscription to Christianity Today, you're giving redemptive, relevant news and thoughtful balanced dialogue about the church, current issues, and public theology. Visit orderct.com slash graduate gifts to get a discounted student subscription for the graduates in your life. Starting at only $2 per month, this gift will engage and grow their faith throughout the year. Click the link in the show notes or visit orderct.com slash graduate gifts to order now. is the Church Law Podcast, where you can get practical solutions for today's leaders. I'm your host, Erika Cole, the church attorney. Welcome back to the Church Law Podcast. I'm Erika Cole, the creator of the Church Attorney Legal Audit System, a proprietary system that assesses the legal health of churches, and I'm happy to be your podcast host. I have been loving the theme of the season's podcast series titled Healthy Leaders, Healthy Churches. From a legal standpoint, healthy leaders and healthy churches directly reduce potentials for legal liability. In episode 23, we'll link that in the show notes below, outlined what I saw as the five general components of a healthy church. Then in episode 24, along with my guests, we discussed the financial health of pastors, including bivocational pastors. In episode 25, we discussed mental health in the church, which unfortunately, those concerns continue to be on the rise. And then in episode 26, we provide insights into how to build a culture of safety and security in churches. Again, we continue to see the need for this, even as we try to better understand the recent incident at a church-run school in Nashville. And today, I'm excited and thankful to have my special guest, Dr. Nicholas Pierce, here to discuss building a healthy church leadership culture. And Dr. Pierce is gifted with the heart of a shepherd and the mind of a scholar. He has been blessed to touch tens of thousands of lives in congregations, corporations, classrooms, and conferences around the world. Um, Dr. Pierce currently serves as the associate pastor of Chicago's Historic Apostolic Faith Church, led by Bishop Horace E. Smith, MD, and he's an award-winning clinical professor of management and organizations at the Northwestern University Kellogg School of Management, a trusted advisor and internationally recognized expert on leadership and organizational culture. Dr. Pierce holds four academic degrees from MIT, Northwestern University, and Fuller Theological Seminary. He is the author of the best-selling book, The Purpose Path, A Guide to Pursuing Your Authentic's Life Work. And his work has been spotlighted on ABC, CBS, NBC, Christianity Today, UrbanFaith.com, the BBC, and beyond. He's devoted to his family, married to his childhood sweetheart, Tammy, and is the proud father of their son, Nolan. So, Welcome to the Church Law Podcast, Dr. Pierce. Thank you so much, Erika. It's a delight to be with you. You have an amazing bio, and I'm so excited to get into this topic with you today. I'm honored to be with you, and uh, let's jump in. (laughs) All right. So again, I'm excited to discuss with you today this idea of building a healthy leadership culture in church. 
one might assume that because it's a church environment, leadership is inherently healthy, right? But unfortunately, we've seen too many examples that show us that that's not necessarily the case. One example that we've talked about in the podcast in the past is maybe kind of the poster child and maybe not a great way, Reverend Mark Driscoll. So we recall that in his instance, you know, they built this church literally from his living room, as he describes, into thousands of congregants over multiple campuses. And there's an entire podcast about it that's, I think, made the top 10 podcasts in all of Amazon. I mean, millions of downloads. And you hear him hollering in the boardroom and being really quite dogmatic in his approach. And there are other examples for sure. But I'm curious, how do you define leadership culture in the first place? Wow. You have pointed to some really, really dramatic episodes in the life of some churches in that example from that podcast. And certainly there are many others we will not call the role today, but it's not just these large white evangelical gigachurches that have leadership failures or toxic leadership cultures. It is as pervasive in megachurches as it is in storefront churches. Church size, the racial or ethnic makeup of the pastoral staff, unfortunately, are not predictive or correlated with the likelihood or possibility of an unhealthy leadership culture. What I think of when I say leadership culture is the ethos around what leadership is, what its purpose is, and how it functions and flows. Culture, broadly speaking, refers to the way that we think that motivates how we interpret certain things that are taking place in the environment and therefore how we respond to those stimuli. Culture determines when you stand up and who walks in the room that makes you stand up. I always joke with my friends who invite me to speak in churches that are outside of my denominational framework. You got to tell me when to walk, when to stand, when to bow, when to kneel, (laughs) because all of those things that folks tend to do on autopilot are part of the culture. And it's not just behavioral mimicry. It's a real nuanced understanding of who the group is, what its beliefs are, and therefore how it behaves in certain contexts. The same thing is true around a culture of leadership. Some churches are based off of personalities and they tend to be cult-like at a certain level. Other churches are not so much based on individual heroic figures as much as they are based on a healthy culture of leadership. So for example, you can think about the children of Israel. Moses was the man. Once Moses leaves the scene, the children of Israel don't stop forever. Oh, well, our our number one guy is gone and Moses is the only person we would listen to. Joshua's in the seat. And when Joshua comes in, the people have leadership and they stick with leadership. Building healthy cultures around leadership, not only involves the concept of people being willing to follow the ark, so to speak, Uh, but it also involves how leadership takes place in the organization. Is it concentrated in a single individual 
who leads through the fact that they have a bigger title or a bigger chair, or they sit at a particular position at the table, or is leadership shared? That's right. Other people encouraged and enabled to lead, regardless of where they may sit in the organizations. All those things are part of the culture of leadership in the church. Well, I, I'm going to just jump in right there and say, really, you've helped me see that in some ways, church is uniquely designed to have this contrast in leadership, right? It's very hierarchical by and large. And in a lot of ways, but by the nature of the fact that it is faith-based, right? It's something so close to our hearts, such as our religion, our denomination, our beliefs, right? So I can see how that inherently really has some big stakes in the ground. So in that kind of environment, how do you go about enhancing the leadership culture or improving the leadership culture? Yeah, well, first is being willing to have an honest conversation about the current state. And that is often difficult because as you just mentioned, oftentimes people not only worship God, but they start to worship the way they worship God. Uh, They start to worship the construct, worship the organizational structure, worship the routines and habits and equate those with faithfulness to God. So yeah, sometimes we've always done it, right? Exactly. That sort of goes to, to that saying, we've always done it this way. Don't touch the sacred cow. Absolutely. We've always done it this way and God has blessed it. Mm. Therefore, this must be the will of God now, henceforth and forevermore. Not recognizing that God wasn't necessarily blessing that way. God was blessing the prayers and the yieldedness and the faithfulness and the obedience of the people. And it just happened to be expressed in that way in that season and time. So this whole idea of how to enhance a culture first starts with a willingness on the part of leaders to have hard conversations about the current state, acknowledging where they have contributed both in positive and productive ways, but also in more challenging ways to the health of the system. Culture change starts at the top. And so if key leaders are not willing to even have the conversation to hold up the mirror and be honest, enhancing and improving a culture is a fool's errand. Well, it's very interesting when we talk about church leaders, you know, my legal mind goes to this dichotomy that exists between what the law says and sometimes how we operate from a spiritual perspective. So, for example, we know that the word of God says God calls leaders or pastors, or shepherds, after his own heart, right? So the shepherd, that pastor, is the spiritual leader, I believe, and as I understand the Word of God. Yes. On the other hand, the law says that the governing board is required to make the salient, the legal decisions related to the operation of that church. So you can see how that can create an inherent clash. And God knows we've seen plenty of them where the board is on one side of an issue and the pastor's on another side of an issue. And there's this clash that's often happening. And there have been many ways that churches have tried to create a whole different operation, right? They've changed their bylaws. This is something that happened in the Driscoll case as well. So that maybe we don't have to have as many people at the table listening to all these voices, right? And that in of itself, I think, also transforms 
how the church culture is. So considering those legal requirements of the multitude of voices that need to be at the table compared to maybe this one strong voice, right, that sometimes I call the power of the mic, right? The person who's up front holding the mic. Yeah. I mean, this is a real issue. I've heard many a pastor lament on this very topic. As part of my consulting practice over the years, we have worked with many pastors and denominational heads on issues of organization and culture. And I've even heard some pastors go so far as to say the reason that Moses didn't make it into the promised land is because he listened to his board. That kind of adversarial relationship, lacking trust and confidence, almost suggesting that the organizational and fiduciary responsibility of boards is carnal. I think that's a toxic approach to the governance and the leadership of churches. I recognize all the horror stories of churches that pastors say are, quote, deacon-possessed, where boards assume a degree of spiritual leadership and authority and treat the pastor as a hireling. I understand all of that. Yet, I think it's important to understand in a healthy cultural construct that the pastor's work and the board's work are both viewed as sacred. It's not that the pastor is doing the sacred stuff and the board is doing the secular stuff. It is all of the above is sacred. This sacred-secular divide is not scriptural. People talk about in the book of Acts how the apostles gave themselves to prayer and to the study of the word, and then the deacons handled the benevolence ministry with the money and helping in the community. That work is sacred as well. I don't think the dividing between the pastor's work and the board's work or other church staff's work is to create a sacred versus secular, a holy versus profane divide. It's all God's work and how we approach it as such does require a degree of cooperation, but also a degree of clarity regarding each of our roles in advancing God's work in the local church. Well, I love that. And I would just want to add from a legal standpoint and also just considering the practicalities of operation, I think we all have to manage our egos, right? When we come to the table, no matter what that role is. No question. the individual task of ego management is each leader's to do, right? And so when we consider the fact that we are all there for one unifying purpose, and that is to be of service to the people of God and to fulfill the purpose unique to that ministry as given by God. So in the way that we focus on that, and from, again, from a legal standpoint, this is particularly important because everyone needs to be at the table, right? We can't say that this person's perspective and voice, again, obviously the pastor has the vision, right? That's critical. And the board and the staff are tasked with carrying out that vision and also meeting all of the risk management associated with operating a church. So those risks are very much heightened when we have these individual pockets, if you will, not working together or operating in a divisive fashion. Absolutely. I think when boards take it upon themselves to be the arbiters or gatekeepers 
for how God is speaking to the church through the pastor, then that becomes very dangerous. Role clarity is everything. And some people perhaps are operating in unhealthy cultures because of role ambiguity. The more ambiguous the role, the harder it is for people to understand how to play their part well. And when there's a leadership vacuum, it gets filled. And sometimes those leadership vacuums get filled in unhealthy ways. And then, as you said, people start grasping for ego, power, and then they do it all in Jesus' name, which is my favorite part. Everybody's right in Jesus's name. And so part of the challenge there again is recognizing that the pastor is the one who is called to oversee the spiritual direction of the church and that the board plays a very important stewardship function in stewarding the church institutionally and organizationally from generation to generation there should be some guardrails to prevent pastors from engaging in bad behavior, for sure. But it should not be the posture of a church board to appoint themselves as co-pastors with the pastor. And so how that gets played out is going to be nuanced and context-specific depending on the polity of the local church, whether it's congregational or Episcopal or pastor-led, pastor-driven. Each church has its polity. Sometimes there's Episcopal oversight. It's complicated. It's nuanced. No two churches are made the same. But what is the same in every place is the need for there to be a healthy environment in which all leaders in their respective roles can be their best and bring their best to the glory of God every day. I love that. There are two things I want to say as I sort of move us toward wrapping up. One reality is just as you, right, as an associate pastor have this very direct training, you have a calling and a training, boards and staff, much less so, right? I conducted a recent training for church boards. And within the course of the training, I asked, let me know. This was an online training. So I said, put it in the chat if you've ever had any training on your role as a board member. And I will tell you, not one person had, with the exception of the only people who seem to have any knowledge is a person who was an accountant by trade and had had some training related to board service and another person who's an attorney by trade, right? But it was concerning to me. Frankly, I knew because of my almost 25 years of practice, this is what I've seen. But to hear it from all of these board members that they had not had any training. So I just want to put that back out there. From a legal standpoint, it is very concerning that we have people who have a fiduciary responsibility, both on the state and the federal level, from the Internal Revenue Service, as well as your local jurisdiction but they don't have the training to do their job. So that's a major concern. And I'll see if I can link the information from the training that I'm referencing in the show notes. The other matter is from your fantastic book, The Purpose Path, A Guide to Pursuing Your Authentic Life's Work, which I read and have just loved. Thank you. You're very welcome. And I would say it's a must read for any believer especially anyone who's transitioning from one career to the next or one job to the next or trying to find their footing in their work. 
But this is something that you say in chapter seven, rechecking your alignment. You say career is not set it and forget it. And that's a very clear and simple conclusion that I absolutely come to as well. I look at my own recent career transition, right, from the practice of law for 24 years to moving into this consulting arena with the legal audit system. And I will say, for I'm interested in your feedback on this question. Why do you think pastors perceive their calling in this way as set it and forget it? I think we have, again, many pastors who look at their work as the Old Testament prophets and leaders of yesteryear. Moses did not retire. Moses died. Joshua did not retire. Elijah did not retire. Elijah was caught up. And so many people take the approach that faithfulness to God equals not relinquishing my work in this way. People equate faithfulness to God with how they have been faithful to God over the years. And I think it's a really sensitive conversation because oftentimes leaders who are looking at approaching the end of a particular chapter of ministry start to struggle with, well, this is what God has called me to do, and I'm effective in doing so. Do I have imagination? Do I have a sense of call to something next? And if I don't have a sense of call to a new chapter, which would not have me retiring, but redeploying, if I lack that sense of call and imagination, then I'm going to hold on to what is. Because if I let go of that, I let go of myself and I'm able to tell myself a story that I'm letting go of being faithful to God. So it's really tough. It is tough. And honestly, I think what you have shared is one of the reasons why we often find, from a legal standpoint, a lack of succession planning with churches. And it is an ultimate act of destruction, if I may say. It's much like if I would use the analogy outside of the church. Well, this also can apply within the church. But if a person fails to make an estate plan, right? Write a will in your life. Well, that doesn't mean that you don't die right? It just means that the people who are left behind are left to sort of pick up the pieces and figure it all out. And so from a succession standpoint, there are many reasons why successions happen. Sometimes an individual may take ill. They may need to take a leave of absence to maybe care for a family matter. They may be called or deployed to some other area of focus, etc. So the courage I think using your words, the vocational courage that is necessary when one is in the pulpit is no different than the vocational courage that is necessary when one is at a top for-profit industry. And I really hope that what has been shared and the importance of the church culture in today's podcast will help pastors and other church leaders think about ways to implement this going forward. Do you want to have any final words as we wrap up? Sure. Well, I want to thank you, Erika, for your work. The work that you're doing for the kingdom is nothing short of amazing. And so I'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to join you and your listeners today. This whole concept of vocational courage for leaders is additionally complicated in churches because there are family dynamics 
there are financial dynamics. And oftentimes, while people know that their lives will end, they don't prepare for that organizationally, financially, or even in terms of building leadership pipeline. And I've seen many pastors who have built great works and have stayed so long that they have destroyed what they spent their entire life building. And it's tragic to watch. But my prayer is that through conversations like these, through conversations like the ones we have at the Kellogg School during Faith Leaders Week and other places, that pastors and leaders will gain the insights, the skills, and the nerve to put into practice some of these strategies for the glory of God and for the good of God's church. Amen. I'm starting to sound like a pastor myself, like we're getting ready to close. And then we ask you one more thing, but you mentioned the faith leaders that's coming up, I believe this summer. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about that? And you can let me know if maybe there's a link that we can provide so that people can learn more. Absolutely. At the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University, we have been privileged to walk alongside leaders of faith communities of all sorts from Jewish rabbis to Salvation Army Corps officers, Pentecostal bishops, Methodist bishops, Baptists, Lutherans, evangelicals, non-denominational, you name it. And each summer, we organize what we call Kellogg Faith Leaders Week. This year, in 2023, Faith Leaders Week will be from June 12th through the 15th, and we will have Eureka with us. So we are excited about that is going to be here in Chicago downtown. So go online, just do a quick search for Kellogg Faith Leaders Week, and you will be able to register right there. And we will be delighted to host you on our downtown Chicago campus in June. Fantastic. I think June sounds like a month I can come to Chicago. So I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. I came there in January one time and that was a big mistake. (laughs) We used to do it in January. And one year the blizzard caught up 20 or 30 of the people who are coming in for Faith Leaders Week. And so that time, the Lord spoke to us and we moved Faith Leaders Week to June. (laughs) (laughs) Thank God. Well, thank you so much again, Dr. Pierce, for being here. We appreciate your wisdom, both as a professor, as well as a consultant, and ultimately as as an associate pastor. So thank you again. Thank you. And thank you for listening. I'm happy to be your host, Erika Cole, the church attorney and creator of the Church Attorney Legal Audit System. It's my four-step proprietary system that helps churches and denominations assess their legal risk. It's like a financial audit, but for legal matters. Get your free legal audit checklist using the link in the show notes and learn more at erikacole.com. That's E-R-I-K-A-C-O-L-E.com. Look forward to seeing you in the next episode. for listening. If you found value in the Church Law Podcast, please leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and a short review so that other church leaders can benefit from this valuable resource. I'm happy to be your host, Erika Cole, the church attorney. And you can learn more about me and how I serve churches and their leaders at erikacole.com. That's erikacole.com. This podcast is brought to you by Church Law and Tax, part of Christianity Today's podcast network. 
This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is provided with the understanding that the host and the publisher are not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, or other professional services. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional person should be sought. Due to the nature of the U.S. legal system, laws and regulations constantly change. Listeners are encouraged to consult with legal counsel to verify the information provided here remains current. Visit churchlawandtax.com for more insights.